One of the things I've noticed over preaching here at this church for the last eight years is how powerful words can be. Like, I speak a lot, and I say a lot of things up here. In fact, I, I did the math on it, and I've done about, oh, about 400 sermons here in the Bird Theater in the last eight years. And so, uh, if you've heard all of them, then you've heard, like, basically 200 hours of me talking. Uh, now, most of you have not heard them. Like, my wife's heard all of them, and maybe my mom. But the rest of you, I mean, still, it's, it's a lot. And so I've said a lot, and I'm kind of like that friend of yours that talks all the time but never listens to you. Uh, that's me, because you've heard me say 200 hours of, of, of messages or whatever, um, and there's a lot of words out there. And one of the things I've always been sort of blown away with is how powerful words are. Like, I'll have people come up to me, and they'll say, Chris, you said this thing in a sermon four months ago, and it, like, really had a profound impact, and God really used that to shape my life, and this is going on, and I'm like, wow, I, you know, I, I almost don't remember saying that, but like, that's, that's cool how God is using those words. And then the flip side of that also is people will come to me and say, Chris, you said this thing, and I think it was wrong, and I think you shouldn't have said it, and so there have been opportunities for me over the years to apologize and say, yeah, maybe I, I could have said that better, or I probably shouldn't have said that that way, and, and you know, thank you for, for pointing that out. And so um, I, I've just really gotten a grip there over the last eight years of how powerful our, our words are. Um, and so today I want to talk about how we use our words and how we use our words to, in effect, what we've been talking about in this series, how we use our words to rewrite our, our future. Words are incredibly powerful. Listen to Rabbi Yehuda Berg uh, talk about words. He says, words are singularly the most powerful force available to humanity. We can choose to use this force constructively with words of encouragement or destructively using words of despair. Words have energy and power with the ability to help, to heal, to hinder, to hurt, to harm, to humiliate, and to humble. And I would add a lot of other things that don't begin with H. Uh, words can also do, uh, really, words can help us shape our future and, and can lead us and draw us towards the vision that God has for us. We started this series last month in June, and if you have not listened to the sermons before today, go back and get those, because this is sort of building on each one as we go. But in June, we talked about our thinking. Why do we think the way that we do? So that we could, we could clearly locate where are you. If you're going to rewrite your future, if you're going to have a, a different future than, you've, than, than all of what you've had going up to this point, like if, if there's going to be a new future that you're going to create, you need to first really get a, a handle on why do you think the way you do and where are you stuck and so we looked at that. We talked about forgiveness. We talked about our thinking, a whole bunch of stuff over the last month. And then starting last week, we shifted to this idea of vision, which is future-focused. Where are you going? Not just where you are, that was June, but this month, where are you going and how are you going to get there? And, and we talked about last week that you really need to have a clear, compelling, like white, hot, burning vision of, of where you want to go. Um, and if you feel stuck, there's a good chance that you don't have a clear vision of, of where you actually want to go. But I was thinking about that, and I thought, you know, vision is not enough. Having a vision of where you want to go doesn't get you there. Like, I could have a vision of taking my family to New York City, and I can get really clear about what that would look like. I can imagine us riding the Staten Island Ferry, and I can imagine us walking through Central Park, and I can clearly see... Uh, eating at Italy and like going there and like having the food and like all the stuff that's going on there and getting raised pizza and the whole thing. I can imagine the thing, but that doesn't actually get me there. If I'm going to get there, if, I'm going to, if, my, if that vision is going to be realized, I have to get on the road. I have to take time off work. I have to book a hotel. I have to get on a train. I have to do something to get there. And today, I want to talk about, yeah, okay, you have a clear vision. What are the steps 
And, and particularly, how do we use our words to get us on the road? How do we use our language to get us going down the road towards the vision that God is calling us to do? Um, because I, I, I write down goals and, and vision, and maybe you've done that this past week, or maybe you've done that before. And then I start making three things that we're going to talk about today, declarations, promises, and commitments to those things. And then things get a little dicey. And maybe you've done this, and I've done this. You say, man, I want to lose 20 pounds. And then, or you say, I'm going to read a book a month. Or you say, I'm going to quit that job within the next two months. And then there you are six months, a year later, and you haven't done the things that you said you were going to do. Why? Well, we could just say, well, life happens, and I got real busy, and I wasn't able to do those things. But there's more going on there. Why don't we fulfill the vision God has placed in us? Why don't we hit the goals that we put out there? Well, one reason is because we undervalue words, and we don't realize how important words are, not just for the future. Uh, words about the future aren't just about then, they're about now. We undervalue how much our, our words that are describing our future change the way we live here and now. And so I want to dig into our words a little bit this morning and talk about three different ideas. Number one, I want to talk about the idea of declaration. Vision begins with a declaration. This is how it will be. This is you describing the future that's not here yet. We talked about this last week. Martin Luther King, I have a dream speech. He's describing a future that hadn't arrived. He didn't stand up there and say, I have a plan. Here it is in his 14 points. That doesn't inspire anyone. He described, he painted a picture for you of a future that's not here yet, and he declared it to be a, a reality. This is going to happen. This is where, this is where the world's going to go. This will be uh, the future down the road for us. And that's called a declaration, and it's extremely important. We have another famous declaration in the history of our country. Maybe you've heard of it. The Declaration of Independence, written in July of 1776. Now, the interesting thing about the Declaration of Independence is it, it says, if you read it, it's describing the future. It's not describing their current reality. It's saying we are going to be a free people who are self-governing. We're not under the rule of someone else. We're our own thing, our own country. We're casting off restraint and tyranny and all that kind of stuff, right? But that wasn't true when they wrote it. They were describing, they were using language to, de to declare this new future. And it was nine more years of fighting the British until that declaration actually became true. But there was something about the declaration itself, about putting it out there in writing and saying this is what will be, that helped draw them towards that future, that made the fighting and the sacrifice worth it because they knew they had made the declaration, they knew where they were going. Jesus uses language like that as well to describe the future. Not to describe current reality, but to describe the future and to help make it become true. Uh, it, most famously, he does this in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is with his closest disciples, and they're going to a town in the north of Israel called Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi is a very Roman, very secular, very pagan sort of town, not not. Jewish at all. And so they get there and they're in this kind of crazy spot, you know, the kind of place that good Jewish boys and girls don't go to very often. And so they're up there and Jesus asks the disciples a question and he says to them, hey, what's the word on the street about me? You know, back in Galilee or in Jerusalem, what are people saying? Who do people say that I am? Kind of getting a, a sense of the buzz around him. And listen to their response in Matthew 16 and look at Jesus' declaration in here. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this 
rock. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Powerful words from Jesus describing not the current reality, but the future. He's saying, I will build my church, the gathering, this community of people in the bird theater and all over the world, all throughout history. I'm going to build this thing. It's my work. I will do it. And it's going to be so powerful that even hell can't stand against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against this thing that I'm starting. And it's a powerful declaration of what will be. Not describing what is in that moment, but it's describing what will be. This is Jesus's I have a dream speech. And most of us are uncomfortable being that bold of saying this is what will be. Because it's scary. Because maybe you made a declaration like that before and it didn't happen. And you don't like the feeling of failure. None of us do. So you go, I don't want to make bold declarations because I'm afraid it's not going to happen. And so we're afraid to fail. Or, and this is a real thing too, we're afraid to succeed. What if I really put it out there and what if it really happens? Man, on one hand, it would be great. But on the other hand, it'll be different. And different is change. And change is scary. And, and as much as people are afraid to fail, people are also afraid to succeed. That's a, that's a real thing. And so we don't make strong declarations about our future. Instead, we make little half commitments to our future. We, instead of saying, this is what will be, we will, we will say things like, well, I'm going to try to make that happen. Now, try is a really interesting word. I don't know if you've thought about it this way. But try is the kind of word that messes with your head. It messes with your brain. There's, there's, there's a part of your brain, if, if you say, I'm going to go do something, I'm going to lose 20 pounds, whatever, your brain will start, go start gathering information to make that true. You're going to lose 20 pounds. You're going to do, okay, here's what we have to do, body. Your brain will tell your body, this is a plan. Okay, you're going to do this. You're going to eat this, not eat this. You're going to make a plan, right? If you say, I will try to lose 20 pounds, your brain's going to go, oh, wait a second. Are we in this or not? Are we going to do this or not? And you think that's just a little thing, but it's, it's not a little thing. Let's say you said, I'm going to make $10,000 more next year than I make this year. Now make a list of how you're going to do that. Say, I will make $10,000 more next year. Here's my list. I'm going to do this. I'm going to search for this job. I'm going to do these things. This is my plan. Now make a list called, I will try to make $10,000 more next year. It's not exactly the same list. And you can try to do it and not succeed, and that's a win because you didn't say you were going to do it. You just said you were going to try to do it. it. It's hard to escape the wisdom of Yoda. Do or do not. There is no try. Like, either say you're going to do the thing and do it, or, or say you won't do it and then don't do it. But the word try doesn't really help us there. So as you pursue vision, make declarations. Say this is what will be. And it's helpful if those declarations are written, and it's helpful if they're public. Um, Darren Hardy, uh, author, he, he says it this way about writing down your vision. Unsuccessful people carry their goals around in their head like marbles rattling around in a can. And we say that a goal that is not in writing is merely a fantasy. Big believer in, you got to write it down. You got to publicly declare it. As you say, this is the vision, this is my declaration, this is where I want to go. The more people you tell that to, the more public that is, the more written down that is, the more likely it is you're actually going to get there. I see this with my own kids. I made a goal to not, uh, to, to not have sugar in the month of July. So, you know, outside of natural sugars, like a strawberry or something, but like not, no sugar added stuff, you know. And so 
hey, this is a goal I have. And, and, and yesterday my son presented me with a candy bar. He was out and he bought one and he's like, here. And then my other son was like, dad can't have sugar. Well, they know that because I've made it public. I've made it allowed. It's not just a goal that's rolling around in my head. And I say, okay, well, I can't do this. We have King of Pops for you today. For everybody but me, uh, King of Pops, because I will go down there and have, watch you have King of Pops because I made a public declaration right here that I'm not having sugar in the month of July. So I guess I'm just not having King of Pops. Had that been a goal in my head, it's not happening. I'll tell you the goals that I don't hit, the ones that I keep to myself, right? If I just go... I'll kind of not have sugar, and I'm not going to tell anybody. Yeah, I'm not sticking to that, right? So make a declaration. Make it verbal. Make it public. Make it written. Um, that, that, that changes things. That ups the game. What's going on in a wedding? Think about it at a wedding ceremony. You make what we call vows. Vows are not describing your current reality. Vows are a declaration about the future. Vows are saying, I will be with you. I will stick with you for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, all of that stuff, right? That's not saying the way it is right now, probably. It's saying, this is how I will be in the future. This is what's going on. And, and you're not standing up there just to say that you love each other. We know you love each other. We've seen you date. We've seen whatever. Like, we've been around you. What you're saying before God is public, before God and everybody, you're saying, this is who I will be. And it's not just about the future. Those vows help shape how you act in the present moment, or they should if you take them, if you take them seriously. So first, you need to make declarations to get down the road to, to your vision. The second way to rewrite your future is to use promises. To change and to grow, you're going to have to make some promises along the way. You have to make promises to other people, and then you have to make promises to yourself. Now, promises to yourself, what does that look like? It, you know, uh, you, it can be things like, I promise to get up at 5 a.m. this week every day to work out, or I promise to eat this or not eat this, or I promise to read a chapter of this every day or, or whatever. Like, those are some of the promises that you make to yourselves. Now, here's where we get hung up with this idea of promises. We think promises are only the things that we do when we say the words, I promise. And we think it's in some way like upping the commitment. Like, I could tell you I'm going to do something, but if I say I promise I'll do it, then I'm really, really going to do it. We think that's like this extra level of commitment but we're missing it. That's not what a, a promise is. Uh, and, and, I, and in fact, Jesus speaks to this in his most famous message. We've been doing a reading plan on the app. If you've been following along on the app, there's a reading plan to read through the Bible a little bit every day. And we've been reading through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous teaching, because so much of this transformational stuff is rooted in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus speaks about how we use our words and how important that is. And he's going to talk about promises here, but he'll use the word oaths or taking an oath. So take a look at what he says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. All right, let me give you some context here. What people would do in Jesus' day is swear by something as a way of saying, I promise, as a way of manipulating you to believe that I'm really going to do the thing that I say I'm going to do. So they would swear by Jerusalem. I swear by Jerusalem that I will do this thing. They would swear by their own head. They would swear by heaven, whatever. 
swear by things to say, I'm really going to do that. We don't swear by those things. We say things like, I promise I do that. I swear on a stack of Bibles. I swear on my mother's grave. These are the kind of things, whatever that means, these are the kind of things that we say. Really, what we're trying to do is, and this is why he calls it evil, we're kind of trying to manipulate someone into really believing us. We're saying, oh, it's, it's a way of saying, no, man, I promise. I really am going to do it. And Jesus says, no, no. Just say yes and do the thing or say no and don't do the thing. That's it. Give your word and then, you know, let your word shape who you're becoming. Um, in other words, Jesus isn't, isn't saying there are no promises. What he's saying is that everything is a promise. Everything is, 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 a, is, is, a, is a, something out on the, on the counter in the future. The word promise, Latin word promitere, means to send forth. So it's something out into your future, and you're going to put something on the counter. I promise to meet you for coffee at 8 a.m. Well, I don't need to say I promise. I'll just say, hey, let's meet at coffee for, for coffee at 8 a.m. on Thursday. Now I have something on the calendar, um, and, 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 I, and I need to fulfill that thing. Uh, might be helpful to look at the definition of promise. This is from the Webster's Dictionary from 1828. This says, promise is a declaration, so it's a form of declaration, right? A declaration, written or verbal, made by one person to another, which binds the person who makes it, either in honor, conscience, or law, to do or forbear a certain act specified. A declaration which gives to the person to whom it is made a right to expect or to claim the performance or forbearance of the act. So a promise is something that binds you to someone or to some time period, to something out in your future. We talked a couple weeks ago about forgiveness. The lack of forgiveness is called bitterness, and bitterness binds you to your past. You get stuck there when you, when you don't forgive. You're bound to your past. The only thing that will bind you to your future is the promises that you make. If I say I'm meeting you Thursday for coffee at 8 a.m., Guess what? Now I have something in my future that I'm, that I'm bound to. I'm meeting you for coffee Thursday at 8 a.m. This is now on the calendar. This is now happening. Now, we, we tend to think promises um, are big things, but, but they're not. Um, they, they can be all of the little things. It's not, oh, I, I promise to be faithful. No, it's not just that. It's, hey, I promise to be there at 8 o'clock on Thursday. The little things. We make promises like that all the time. I think when you start noticing this, and one of the things you'll probably take out of here when you leave today is you'll, you'll notice all the promises that you make. You'll say, oh, I, I'm going to do this, not this. I'm going to be there. And there aren't big promises or little promises. There's just promises. It's just all those little things that we say of where we're going to be and when and how and what's going to happen and what you will do, what you won't do. And the other thing I think you'll realize as you start examining your own promises that you make is that you break them all the time. And that doesn't feel good. How many times have you said, I'll be there at 8, and you showed up at 8.10? Chris, you're like, okay, Chris, that's harsh. I mean, stuff happens, traffic, my kid threw up, and I had to change him before I showed up. Like, uh, stuff happens. I know I said I'd be there at 8, but I just can't. I showed up at 8.10. No, I get that, and I, and I understand that. But, but here's, here's the reality. Like, over time, it just erodes relationships when you break even the little promises. It erodes the relationship. If I'm consistently someone who shows up at 8.10 when I say I'll be there at 8, you're just going to know, consciously or unconsciously, that Chris is not a person that you can really count on. He doesn't actually do the things he says he will do. 
Uh, that, that may sound harsh, but it, but it happens. And it happens with the promises you make to yourself, maybe even a more deadly thing. You say, I'm going to get up this week and work out five times, five workouts I got to get in for this week. And you got in two. You broke your promise to yourself. And over time, what that teaches you is you're not a person you can rely on. It teaches you that you don't actually do the things you say you're going to do. So why write down a vision? Why set goals? Why set, this is who I want to be in the future? I already know, consciously or unconsciously, I already know that I don't do the things I say I'm going to do. So you have to notice those things, even at a small, a small level. Notice the little promises, because there are no little promises. They're all just promises. Notice when you say you're going to do something and you don't. Now here's the challenge with that. Um, when you realize you break promises, you're going to think, oh, man, I'm, I'm a terrible person. Like, okay, I get it. Yeah, I don't show up when I say I'm going to. I don't, do the, I don't make the, follow through with these things. And you're going to think you're a terrible person. But here, let me just try to ease that for you. Take the judgment out of this. Don't use a broken promise as an opportunity to tell yourself how stupid you are. I know that voice in my head. You know that voice in your head. You know, you know that voice. We talked about it in terms of machinery, but another way to look at it is you got a roommate that rents space for free in your head and tells you all the time how terrible you are. And so when you break a promise, the, that roommate's going to be like, see, told you, you're just not good. Tell that guy just to chill for a second. And instead of using the promise as an opportunity to feel terrible about yourself, use the promise, broken promise as an opportunity for inquiry and, and ask yourself, hey, what mattered to me more than keeping my promise? What was more important to me? What, what did I have going on? Examine that stuff because if you examine that stuff, then you're really getting down into your heart what's going on in there. So you make bold declarations. You make promises to, to start building out towards the vision and the goal goals that you have in your life, and, and don't, don't examine, don't skip examining your heart on that stuff. A lot of times when we don't hit goals, we examine our actions, and that's fine, but we should be examining our promises and, and why we are breaking them, because those will lead to the actions, one or the other. And then the final thing you need to look at is, is commitments. Promitere, the Latin word is to send forth. Commitere is the, the, the Latin word for commitment, and it means to send with. So commitere is the, the, the spirit that goes behind the promise. I made this promise. My spirit that goes with it is my level of commitment to the thing. So let me maybe give you some examples to help you think of it. If you say, uh, if you say to me, hey, Chris, um, I've got Super Bowl tickets. Do you want to come with me to the Super Bowl? I will make a promise to you. Yes, I'm coming with you to the Super Bowl. Let's go. And, and I have a very high level of commitment to that promise. I will move things in calendar and life so that I can be at the Super Bowl with you for this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity kind of thing, right? Very high level of commitment to the Super Bowl. If you said to me, Chris, let's go for a fun run this Saturday at 6 a.m., my level of commitment to that, let's just say, is a little bit lower than my level of commitment to going to the Super Bowl with you. I may promise to be there. Oh, yeah, I'll be there 6 a.m. on Saturday. But there's many things in the world that can come up that will pull me away from keeping my promise, because my level of commitment just isn't that high. And you calling it a fun run makes it no more fun to me. And doing it at 6 a.m., I'm going to be like, shouldn't healthy people sleep in a little bit on a Saturday? Like, why do we need to do this? So commitment is the spirit with which the promise is made. 
And when you break promises, it's an opportunity to examine how committed were you? What is your commitment? If you said, Mike, I'm going to make a promise. I'm going to read a chapter of the Bible a day or a chapter of this book a day. If you make that promise and you don't do it, let's examine your commitment. How bad do you want it? Do you really want to do that? You said you wanted to. You made a promise to do it, but you broke the promise. So what's going on there? What's your level of commitment to that? Because if you're really committed to it, you, would say, you wouldn't say, I'm just too busy to read a chapter a day. You would say, I'm going to get up early. Uh, I didn't get up early today. I'm going to stay up late and read it. I'm going to read it on my lunch break. I'm going to read it in the restroom. I'm going to get it on audio so I can read it when I'm jogging. You would figure out a way. If your commitment is high enough, you'll figure out a way to make, make it so that you fulfill your promise. So you have to examine what's going on there, the spirit with which you are sending your promises. So pay attention to the words you use. Pay attention to the words you use because that new future that you want is built through declarations, promises, and commitments. And the words you use, the words you use reveal your heart. Jesus said this later in Matthew chapter 12, uh, this, this powerful idea about our connection to our words and our heart. He says this, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. You Uh, For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. Smack talk from Jesus in the first century. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned." Man, I can't tell you how heavy that scripture has laid on me over the years as someone who talks a lot. Like, I'm going to give account for every careless word that I said. Oh, no. Like, I don't even want to do that for the last week. Not like historically, not like my life. Like, that's intense. But what is Jesus getting at? He says, look, your words flow out of your heart. That means when you say something, let's say you say something stupid or mean or whatever. Let's say you say something comes out. And, and maybe you said this, and I've done this too. You, you go, oh, that was so out of character for me. I can't believe I just said that. Oh, I don't normally talk like that. Here's the truth, guys. It's not out of character for you if you said it. It's in there somewhere. It is flowing out of something in your heart. And you gotta deal with that thing. Our words reveal our hearts. And ultimately, what God wants is for your heart to be right and to be in a right relationship with him that flows into right action, right behavior, all of that, but you got to get your heart right. And the way we know our heart is to examine our, de- our declarations, our promises, and our commitments. Examine the words that are coming out of our mouths so that we can know our hearts. My hope for us this week is, is this, if, if, is that we would start to rewrite our futures, that we would start to get after the vision that God has laid on us. If we're going to rewrite our future, if we're going to be all that we can be, if we're going to change, if we're going to grow We have to get honest about our declarations and our promises and our commitments. That's hard work. It's also heart work. And it's the work God calls us to, to examine our hearts. Next week, as we examine our hearts, as we get into this stuff, um, I want to talk about how you need to get other people involved. Because when you break promises, you start feeling like, junk and you want to talk to someone and you confess and whatever, we need to bring other people into our vision to say, hey, this is where I want to go and will you help me and and how can I help you? I want to talk about how God has given us what we need within the community to move forward. Let's pray.
God, I just thank you right now for the bold vision that Jesus spoke about the church and who we could be and who you're calling us to be. And so, God, I pray that we lean into that, that we continue to grow as a church community here, that we continue to sharpen our rough edges to be humble people who seek after you. God, and, and for the vision of how we're supposed to live in the kingdom individually, what you've laid on our hearts, I pray that we get real honest about who we are, where we are, and uh, when we break promises, not to heap down shame and judgment on that, but to, to just use that as an opportunity to inquire what was more important to us than keeping our promise in that moment. Uh, God, thank you so much for um, how you lay vision into our lives and, uh, and, and the potential that you've put inside us. Help us to realize it and become who you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.